Hey Vineyard, Pastor Joe here. It is good to be back with you. Still not on stage, still on live, coming to you into your living rooms, into your uh, computers, into you, your um, uh, online devices, whatever that might be. But listen, it's okay. We had a great Easter last weekend, and I am just so proud of how it all came together. And man, some of you look so good posting up your pictures. I'm not doing the suit and tie this week because we're back to we're the Vineyard. Um, I like Easter, but we're a week down the road and we're looking at what God is doing. I'm excited to be opening up a new series today. We're opening up a series on Esther. It's not a book that I've preached a lot about in the years that I've been a pastor, but it is one that I'm excited about doing today and looking at some things. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into this and we're going to say, hey, God, what do you have to say to us? Now, look, we're still in the middle of being careful. We're still in the middle of um, the quarantine and, and what's going on on there. This is going to date this uh, this service, but it's okay. This is what we were doing during this time in history. And and if I can just like throw a, you know, a, a, an arrow at the message today, we were created for such a time as this. And so we are going to be big and bold. And at the same time, we're going to be careful. And so that's why we're coming to you this way. And I'm excited about it. All right, grab your Bible, grab your version implement, and let's you and I see if we can't jump in here and uh, see what the Lord has to say to us today. Okay, so I'm going to grab up Esther. I'm using this thing right here. You've seen me do that back when we were together. Um, this is a Bible. It comes with paper pages that I can turn. This is my absolute favorite way um, to study scripture, to prepare for a sermon, to pray over. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've got a couple of uh, screens lined up that I get to bounce back and forth when I'm doing the, the computer work and that's all good. But uh, let's look at this. So let me let me just begin because I want to talk about this sermon series being Esther, a small, a small time a small town girl in a big uh, town situation, okay? Here's like a country girl gone to the city and it's like, what? But let's let's look at the scripture and let's see what it has, and then we'll we'll make some some uh, some comments about this. Okay, the scripture that I want to I want to share with you is found in the fourth chapter. There's only uh, 10, 10 chapters, and the tenth chapter is really just a, a hiccup for all crying out loud. But um, I'm going to pull this right out of the middle because I honestly believe that this particular passage is the crux and the cornerstone of this whole book. Okay, this is a legitimate story. It took place. Um, this is the history of Jewish people. Um, and I, I want to share it with you. But let me just read this for you. I'm going to read from Esther 4. And I'm going to begin at uh, verse uh, 14. And uh, then we'll talk about it after I read it to you. Okay, a guy named Mordecai is speaking. And he says, to Esther, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Okay, so, so that's what I want to kind of be looking at, um, kind of the various aspects of what does it mean for us to stand up and embrace and take hold of and, and, and to be there, stand up 2020 for such a time as this. Now listen, that's going to mean a lot of different things to different people. And so when I say, what does it mean to stand up? It doesn't mean you say, yeah, you need to stand up. Yeah, you need to stand up. Yeah, you need to stand up. It's like, you need to ask yourself, 
I am here in 2020 for such a time as this. What does this mean for me personally to stand up? And so that's what we're going to look at. Have you ever um, been in a place where you were just like in over your head? Have you, have you ever gone somewhere and you're like, whoa, 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 I do not belong. Listen, I know some of you got married and we've met your spouse and, and you are in way over your head, okay? Because you are, it's like, how did she see this in you or something? No, but, but really, have you ever been there? I walked into uh, a, a computer class uh, at Wright State University the, the year that I went there, um, and uh, the, my, my counselor said, oh, yeah, you do this, 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 and this on the computer already. Um, you should go in here. And you got to remember, that's when computers were like the size of McDonald's, okay? Um, you know, they, they had big buildings for them and punch cards and things like that. And I walked in. I had my book. I sat down in the back, and it really one of, was one of those situations where as soon as the guy started talking, it's like, oh, Oh, you oversold yourself to your counselor. You do not belong in here. Not at all. And so, you know, you wait for him to turn back to the blackboard because we, we had chalkboards back then. And as soon as he turns his back on you, you snatch your book and you're out the door. You're not even staying for the class and you move on. Well, that's kind of like what Esther was going through. She was a small town girl in a big town situation. And it was one of those, I don't know if I belong here. What can I do type of a things? And so I want to begin to look at that. Okay. Um, it's a when I was thinking about this, it was like, wow, if we were together, this would be a great one for us to be doing a journey song, right? Just a small town girl living in a lonely world, took the midnight train going anywhere. It would be, it would fit in here perfectly. And you would remember it forever. And you would say, oh, Esther's from Detroit. Yeah, she took the subway. It was great. No, but, but that's what it would be. So when I think about Esther, that's the song that bounces in my head. But there's a whole story here. Esther's kind of the central figure with her cousin Mordecai, but it starts with somebody named Vashti, who is the queen, okay, uh, of the Persians and the Medes, um, um, Ahasuerus's or Xerxes' um, wife, and um, a situation takes place, and we're going to get in that in another sermon, but a situation took, takes place in which she ends up standing up for herself in a moral way, actually, and refusing to do something that costs her um, her queenship, if you will. And then uh, theologians um, believe that sooner or later it cost her her life. And so in the course of events, um, they do a search and they go and they pick this little Jewish girl from some small town because her cousin, Mordecai, um, gets her noticed and they begin to, to bring her forward. And so I want to talk to you about this, uh, this Esther girl, okay? Um, and so I've made some notes here about who Esther is, and I just want to encourage you in this, okay? I want you to be aware as we read Esther, who Esther is. Um, Esther is a Jewess, okay? That means she's a woman and she's a Jew. Um, the crazy part is she kept that to herself for a long time. Her husband, when she ends up the king, a queen, her husband, the king, did not know she was a Jew. The man that wanted to kill her and all her people did not know that she was a Jew. So with all due respect to Jewish people, at some point we have to ask ourselves, was she a good Jew? Because when Daniel was a good Jew, people noticed. He went to prayer time. He went to God every time there was a problem. Nobody knew that um, Esther 
was a Jew until it was important for her to play that card. Um, believe it or not, um, as I was doing some study, um, the, the Jewish theologians are split kind of down the middle. Half of them think the story of Esther is this great big giant victory that's celebrated and it's all good. And the other half think that it's a victory, but it's an immoral story. And not the least of which is that it had to do with the fact that nobody knew she was a Jew until she decided to play that card. Um, just for the record, throw this out there to you. Her real name is Hadassah. It's not Esther. It's Hadassah. Um, but people knew her as Esther. And I don't know if that's because um, during the, um, the exile, uh, I think it was in 586, um, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and hauled off all the Jews out of Jerusalem, she would have been born out of that circumstance, not directly there, but her parents got hauled off, her grandparents got hauled off. And so as they were reestablishing themselves, um, according to Jeremiah anyway, um, in the um, foreign lands, um, she would have probably been born there, um, and she's raised there. So she, good chance she had a, like a Babylonian name as well as a Jewish name. Um, and so that's what we're looking at. She is from the tribe of Benjamin. It was, it was just interesting to me for no reason whatsoever that that's the tribe that the Apostle Paul's from. And the Apostle Paul describes Benjamin as the smallest of the tribes. So country girl, insignificant, if I can say that, um, at this particular moment in this sermon. Um, maybe you did or didn't know it, but she's an orphan. Uh, mom and dad both died. Her uh, uncle died as well. And so her cousin was significantly older than her, her cousin Mordecai. And so he's the one that ends up raising her as his own daughter. Um, and so that's how their connection is. Um, with all due respect, I need to tell you something. Um, this girl, um, kind of like, you know, some of you country girls think, you know, country's better uh, than city because this is how scripture defines um, Esther. It says, it says right here, um, she was des described as was lovely in form and features. I mean, how do you put that into scripture with a straight face? She was lovely in form and in features. And I was thinking, oh my word, every once in a while, the writers of scriptures need to just let you know that the person they're talking about, they're it. They are all that. They are this and a cherry on top. It's like Esther puts the fire back in hot, you know, and it's like, that's who she was. And that's who Mordecai saw her as. And so um, we get this picture. Now, this is not unique to Esther. Let me just give you in first um, um, in, uh, uh, um, in the book of first Samuel, when um, Samuel is describing Saul, who's the first king of Israel, it says this Kish. This is what this this is what the scripture says. Kish had a son whose name is Saul. Now, this is Saul, who's the first king of Israel. Now, he was as handsome a young man as could be found in Israel. I mean, how would you like somebody to say that about you? This was as handsome a young man as could be found in the whole state of Kentucky. I'm telling you, this girl rung the bell. She got the best. It was on, and he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the land. And so we have this picture of them. My all-time favorite is the third king of Israel, the united Israel, and that's King David. And check this out. Samuel said to Jesse, that's David's dad, after um, Saul had failed God and they decided they're going to get another king. And so um, 
um, Samuel goes to Jesse and he says, show me your sons. And they bring everybody except David, who's out with the sheep or something. And so um, Samuel finally looks at, uh, at Jesse and he says, hey, is there any more? And he says, yeah, I've got one little punk kid out there, but you want me to go get him? And he's like, yeah, we're going to and check. This is what he says. Send and bring for him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. They're going to have dinner. And so they waited and he sent and brought him in. Now, check this out. This is what the scripture says about King David. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a very handsome appearance. I threw the word very in there just for effect, but and a handsome appearance. And so we're looking at this and it says, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. And he's talking to Samuel that that's the new king. And, but I like that it's, it's ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Okay. It's not like we can say, Hey, he was a good dude. He chased after God. We got to tell you, he was hot, good looking. He was all that. And he had beautiful eyes. Uh, and so this is the picture that we get. Now the word ruddy, Okay, it is a term, and I, I'm not, you know, etymology. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, I got to be careful what word I use here. Okay, I, I don't go back and study just the absolute wor root words of all words. But the bottom line is, the word "ruddy" is often found in English um, literature, and what it means is full of health and life, um, but red, like in color. And it's like, oh my goodness, what about that? So when he came in, he was full of life and his cheeks were colored up and he looked good. And so we have this picture. Well, they said the same thing about Esther. She was just beautiful in form and features. And so this is where, you know, theologians begin to say, whoa, 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 rein it in there a little bit. Let's keep this, you know, PG. Um, even Jesus gets mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, when God is speaking to the people through um, the prophet Isaiah, it says this about Jesus, okay? It doesn't say he's handsome and ruddy and, you know, beautiful features and pretty eyes, but it says this, he grew up before God like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground, and he had no beauty, no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. It says that uh, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people would hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And so we get the idea that while all these other people are being described as, you know, the cream of the crop, we see our Lord and our Savior and he's described as, wait a minute, less than the least. And you probably would want to do this as you walked by him just because there was nothing about him. But it was all inside because beauty is not all on the outside. More than that, the purpose is all on the inside. And we see that also in, in uh, Esther. Uh, no beauty or majesty that we should be attracted to Jesus, but we're going to keep doing that. Because not Hadassah, not our Esther. There was everything about her that was all that and some more. All right. Now, you know I believe that everyone has this one thing that sets them apart, that they are it. I used to serve with a pastor that said, everybody is a 10 at something. We need to find what that 10 is as we find a place to serve, as we grow, as we lean into things, okay? Um, but it's not usually what the next person is doing. So we're not all doing the same thing. Um, it's usually based upon, believe it or not, um, what you have that you're actually willing to use or express. 
And that's kind of what the story is here with Esther. As we launch into this thing, and as I give you all these little nuts and bolts and these little details about who she is and kind of what's going on, um, the, book, the book of Esther is actually a situation um, where the oppressor of Israel is, ends up being vanquished. And so a celebration takes place. The tables are turned, and we're looking at this. Um, some other things about the book of Esther. It's one of two books that bear the name of a woman. The other one is Ruth. It's one of two books that do not talk about God pretty much at all. They don't mention God. The other one, believe it or not, is the Song of Solomon. Um, it launches one of two major feasts that are not prescribed by Moses through the law. Um, this one is Purim, okay, or Purim. Um, and the other one that gets launched, not out of Esther, but it's not part of the, the book of the law, is uh, Hanukkah. Uh, Hanukkah being a celebration of the uh, rededication of the temple by the Maccabees. Purim is a celebration. It's a great big giant two-day party um, that takes place because the tables were turned on Haman and um, the Jewish people were saved or, or were given permission to save themselves. Um, and I still say by the hand of God. Um, it is one of uh, the books of the Old Testament that's never mentioned in the New Testament. This book is significantly about purpose. And so as we go into this message, remember, we're looking at what is your purpose? Are you here for such a moment as this? It's about capturing divine moments and making the most of them. It's about risk. It's about right. It's about watching God turn tables. And it is about identity. We're going to be looking at that. The foundational verse that I read to you before is the hinge or the fulcrum that everything rocks back and forth on. Okay. He went back, uh, Mordecai, or the, the servant went back um, and said that this is what Mordecai says. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, and this is Mordecai trying to tell Esther, she's got to stand up, even if it costs her her life. He says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will still come from the Jews. God will get somebody else from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position, here comes, for such a time as this. Sounds like a plan, doesn't it? It's a story of heroes. Vashti is a hero. Um, Esther is a hero. Mordecai is a hero as he shepherds Esther through the whole process. And, and he ends up being the savior of the Jews. Now, let me just share a couple of things with you that I need you to know about this whole thing. Because sooner or later, I'm going to tell you all this stuff about the scripture. And I'm going to say, hey, this is what I'm reading. And this is what I'm understanding. But at the end of the day, we need to ask ourselves, but what is God saying to us? If this is what the Bible is about, if this is what the story is about, a couple of thousand years later, what does that mean to Joe Wood sitting in his living room during quarantine in 2020? What, what's the deal? What's up with that? And this is what I think. Um, Esther did not wake up, and we'll go through the story, but she did not wake up that day thinking, today I'm going to be queen. Today, they're going to pick me to go to the palace and stay there for a year, getting ready to be presented to the king to see if he likes me. Not at all. See, no ordinary person ever wakes up thinking, this is the day that I'm going to solve all the problems of the world. This was an ordinary day. She woke up probably thinking she was going to collect the eggs. She was going to put the chickens in a pen. She was going to go get some water. She was going to make breakfast for Mordecai. She was going to do this, that, and the other thing. But 
It just so happens that they were sending people out looking for beautiful women to come in to see who would be the next queen um, of, of uh, um, Xerxes. And so people weren't aware, just like last week, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And when we were not looking for God, we often will miss him. And I think that um, Esther was going through her life being as moral as she possibly could. I'm not saying she wasn't a good Jew. I'm just saying nobody knew it. And so what does that tell us, okay? Um, in, in, in our story in the New Testament, the disciples were not aware that as they wrote scripture and as they, I mean, excuse me, as they wrote stories about Jesus, that it was going to be canonized into what you and I know as our Bible. We often do not understand what's going on in the moment. And I don't think Esther did either. You know, when we think about the Bible, there are 66 different letters or books, if you want to call them, written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. And that includes a 400-year drought that takes takes place between Malachi and Matthew um, that was spoken of in Amos chapter 8. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, but not a famine of food, of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And so there's that big time period between Malachi and Matthew. Um, Jesus shows up and suddenly we have scripture again. The New Testament alone is about 50 years worth of writing and things like that. And so we see all of this. People did not wake up and think that today was the day that they were going to do something huge and big. They're just ordinary people. David was just a shepherd. Moses was, was uh, yeah, no ordinary child, but pretty soon he was a shepherd. Uh, Noah was just a guy that, that loved God and, and tried to understand how to do what was best. That's what he was trying to do. God kept picking people, uh, and there was a reason for it. Because, first of all, she didn't wake up that morning thinking she was going to be the queen, but she was an ordinary girl willing to take extraordinary risk. They're all ordinary people, and then pow, they're put in a circumstance where they've got to make a decision. What will you do? And that is certainly true of the story of Esther. It's the decision in the moment. Are you going to live in fear or are you going to grab the moment with both hands and hang on tight? Where in your life have you gone all in? Just think about that for a second. And listen, don't give me the spiritual answer. Jesus, don't do that to me, okay? Um, oh, just be honest. Where have you gone all in? At work? Have you poured yourself into your college education, got that dream job, and now you're pouring yourself into your work? Is, is, is that what it means for you to go all in in the moment? Okay, because I certainly think that we are called to in Jesus. I met a guy on the airplane um, a couple of months ago, certainly before all this stuff started, and uh, we got to talking about Jesus, and it was a wonderful experience. And here just recently, he contacted me again. He said, I want to talk to you some more about Jesus. He wasn't necessarily following Jesus. He was when he was a young man. He's not a young man anymore, but not my age either. Um, and so I, we were, Janice and I, Pastor Janice and I, driving around, and I got a text, and it said, hey, I need to ask you a big question. God is beginning to move in his heart, but his question is, how do I go all in? How do I do that when I know there's a God? How do I look for him and search for him and hunger for him? How do I do that? And so we had this great conversation, and it's ongoing even still um, today, um, about what it means for him to begin to say, hey, do the things you used to do. Write the poems if you want your wife to fall in love with you. Bring her flowers. Don't wait till you have the feeling. Same thing is true with God. Go to him in prayer. Spend time reading. Um, 
um, listen to what you think he's saying and then go do it and then come back to him and say, yay, I did it. Um, and watch the emotion and the hunger for God begin to flare up inside of your life. Isn't that where a lot of us come and go? What would we tell somebody that it means for us to go all in? What would we tell somebody? How would you answer this question for this young man? How can I know all that this is about God and yet I still don't seek him? How would you answer that question that he gives to you? That's, that's, that's Esther. She wasn't an ordinary person, but she grabbed the moment. The third thing was that she didn't know what she was capable of until she was in the fire. And there is so much truth in that statement. And you know what? I hate that statement just as much as you do. I really do. In 1 Corinthians, it says, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that, so that you can endure it. You know, that is another one of those verses that gets twisted up in the whole meme process. Um, and it becomes the, the great destroyer of scriptures. Because how, how, do you, how do you remember that from the meme the other day when you were on social media? God will not let you, uh, God will not put on you more than you can handle. That's where that comes from. And yet that's not even close to what it says. It says when the temptation gets too big, God will provide a way out. You have to take the way out. You have to physically move your being. It doesn't say God's never going to put on you more than you can bear. Um, another way they say it is if God closes one door, God will open another. That's another one where this comes through. That is so messed up. Ask the disciples that ended up getting martyred, okay, uh, killed for their faith because they believed it was the right thing to do to preach the gospel, even when they were told by the government, no. Okay. And so they said, yes, we will tell us, do you think it's um, right for us to obey God or man? And, and then they had to shut up because, you know, they, they didn't dare answer that question. And so we need to understand that, okay? But we don't like being in the fire. But the crucible is where the, the, the slag comes so we can scrape it off. And suddenly it's all pure. The heat brings the impurities to the top and makes us somebody that God wants us to be. Truth is found in Paul's letter to the Romans. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Right there it tells you that sometimes we literally are supposed to suffer. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Jesus' own brother, James, said, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. We need to go through times of suffering. And it's in those minutes when we're in the fire, when we're in the moment where we have to make a decision, that's when we get to shine the gold that's inside of us. So let me ask you a question. Esther, read it. It's only nine chapters and then just a little hiccup that they call 10. Okay. But what about you? What about you? Do you see that when you surrender to Jesus, all things become new? You join Jesus, Jesus doesn't join you, but not all things become easy. Sometimes we find ourselves in difficult situations, but you aren't who you used to be and you have to choose that every day, just like Esther did. There comes a point when you recognize that Christ is leading you away from who you used to be so that you could stand up and shine because of who you are. And you may have been keeping that a secret, but like Esther, 
There came a time when she had to say, I'm a Jew. It is time for me to shine. Can you hear God speaking to you today? Are you available to God? Esther made herself available to God. Today, as you're going through struggles and wondering why this Christianity thing's not working out, let me let, take, a, take, take a deep breath and hold on to yourself. Are you available to God or are you demanding that God's available to you? We need to surrender to God. And the last thing that I just wanna, I just wanna pose another question. Today, are you finding yourself in the fire? A fire of fear, fire of financial ruin, a fire of discouragement, a fire of hopelessness. I want you to know that when, when the Jews were in captivity in, in Babylon, Medes, the Persians, all of those places, they had no hope for years and years and years. Jeremiah would describe it as 70 years. They had no hope. And yet God was always working. I think we need to get outside of ourselves sometimes. We need to hear the story of Esther standing up for the people around her and being God's people and being God's vehicle to save people. And I wonder, in the midst of the crucible, in the midst of the fire that you find yourself in, is there a place to find hope in making yourself available to God? Because I think he wants to talk to you. I think he wants to talk to you through uh, the story of Esther. We never will know who we really are until we find ourselves in the fire. And we're in the fire right now. And I just want to encourage you, take a deep breath. Don't get whack, okay? It's going to be okay. We're going to press on. But I believe this more than anything else, regardless of how excited or mad you are about our circumstances. God is still at work in a very specific way. And I'm looking for what he's about to do. And you know what? It could be the trumpet. In the story, the trumpet was Esther. It could be the trumpet trumpet today. Are you ready? Jesus Christ died for your sins because he loves you. Because you were born a sinner. And all it means is that we come back and we recognize the gift of Christ from Easter that leads us into the family of God the day after Easter. Because the blood was shed for us, we can let go of our old life and walk away, negative friends, negative circumstances, whatever that might be, and lay a hold of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Hey, you might be the next Esther. Who knows? Let's pray. Father, who is God in heaven, we come before you and we recognize that you are doing something powerful in our lives, but we don't know what it is and it's confusing us. And so we just ask and pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to see you, to recognize you so that we can follow you. Help us to stand up and shine because of who we are in Jesus Christ because we've come away from this world. God, if the trumpet's about to sound, find us doing the best that we can, the most that we can. If it's going to be a while, find us doing the best that we can, the most that we can. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we speak against this virus. And we rebuke it and say, get out and be gone. Beyond that, Lord, I say, protect your children. Put your arms around them, just like you did Israel back in the Exodus. We thank you for this day. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Hey. 
It's been good for us to be here today. God bless you and go in peace. If you don't have that peace, I just want you to know that you can go to vineyardrichmond.com, vineyardrichmond.com. Bottom of the page, right-hand side, it's a little green button that says chat. There are real live people on the other side of that button that want to pray with you. It'll be a chat prayer, but even that's a prayer that God recognizes. There is no sense in you going through anything by yourself. Let us pray with you. Go ahead and take the time and click that button because they're there waiting on you because God loves you.